0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke 19 this morning. Last week, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus, a wee little man. Do you want me to sing the song again? I'm not doing it, (laughs) but it's in my brain. I'm trying to stop myself from singing the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. What I love about that story is just the radical change that was in his life. He was a man who was... Not really liked by people, but he was a successful man. He was a chief tax collector, pretty wealthy. Uh, And as a tax collector, he could just collect above what Rome required from the people and keep it. And the thing is, he was good at his job. What's interesting is that he knew something was missing in his life. And we've all had that experience, haven't we? I was just thinking, even as during worship, of a time I was camping with my family a few years ago, and we barely got a campsite one weekend, and our little pop-up trailer and a tent camped next to a man that had one of those city-on-a-wheels kind of RV. It was probably $100,000. And we look at it and go, Wow. And one day he said to me, while he was doing something at a table outside, his wife's making dinner. He says, I wonder what the poor people are doing right now. And I didn't say it to him, but I often think that if I was a little quicker, I would have said the exact same thing you're doing right now. Looking for what's to eat and judging other people. It doesn't really matter. You know, I've shared that I grew up in Los Angeles at the base of Palos Verdes, the Torrance area. And there was such a jealousy of anyone who lived up there, up there on the hill. Do you know this area that I'm talking about? PV, we called it. And if any of my friends had a car, we were in high school, we would drive around, around PV and look at those houses. It's where Tiger Woods had his big car crash a few years ago. And you think, those people. And you almost feel like something is missing in your life if you can't live where those people live. Have you ever felt that? This is before 30, maybe before 40. And then the more you meet people, you realize how much they're just like everybody else. That's fine if they live there. And I realized uh, my wife would much rather have to only clean two toilets than ten toilets. What a blessing that is. And now we live in a little 600-square-foot apartment that has one toilet. And we wake up on a Monday and go, she goes, well, we have chores to do today. And I'll say, well, well, what would you like to do after 15 minutes are done and our chores are all done? (laughs) You know, Paul said to Peter, godliness with contentment is great gain. You only think if I just have a little more or a lot more, then I'll be content. And you know, I have never had that experience of having a lot more, but I've had enough more to realize it, it really doesn't pay off. There's only certain things that you really need. I can only one wear one outfit that looks like Charles at the same time. I can only drive one car at a time. I don't want five cars that all need oil changes. What a problem to have to maintain all this stuff, stuff, stuff. But what you eventually discover is that every person, rich or poor, has the same heart. We're born into this world separated from God trying to find our way and realize, hopefully, that the answer to life is in knowing God. The title of my message is A Life of Purpose. Every person is going, why am I here? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? We see that in every person that Jesus interacts with. And as this man, Zacchaeus, a rich man, has this life-changing experience with Jesus, God's already been working in his heart, and he says, I'm going to return many times over whatever I've taken from people wrongly. And Jesus says to everyone in Zacchaeus' house, Today, salvation has come to this house because he also, this man is also a son of Abraham, or he's become part of the family. That man that was not welcome here, he is now welcome here. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost that's the experience it was a man who was lost and we've all had those times where we're going i'm just lost i have no idea what to do but i think of people i've talked to that were lost and they didn't know it and how offensive it might be to them to say to them you are lost they're thinking i'm successful what do you mean i'm lost And what that phrase means is it's speaking from God's perspective to people. God looks at everyone as being outside of his family and wanting to bring them back. Everyone born, he wants them back. And so like the, the father to the prodigal son, he just wants his son back. It's not this condemnation like, well, you're lost, too bad about you. It's, it's just an expression of God's heart for this man. And we are, we are literally, the next section of Scripture here is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And you realize that means that the time for the disciples' training is over. They need to catch on to what the work is. And even now, right before the cross, they're still figuring it out. Our job is to do the work that Jesus wants done to seek and to save that which was lost. And because they're not quite getting it, that's when Jesus tells a parable. The Sunday school definition of parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Did I say that in Sunday school tone of voice? An earthly story with (laughs) the word parable para means alongside. It's a story that is laid alongside. So here is the truth that God is out to seek and to save that which was lost. The disciples aren't getting that plain, bare truth, so he lays alongside of it a story. The story they can understand, and that's why we have parables. That if I can get the illustration, then I look back at the spiritual truth, and I go, oh, that's what God was talking about. Verse 11, we're going to pick up. Now, as they heard these things he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So they have an agenda in their mind that when we get to Jerusalem, that's when Jesus, the Messiah, is going to overthrow Rome, crush the enemies of Israel, and set up the kingdom of God. Is that what was going to happen? What was going to happen? the cross, and yet they were so fixed on what they thought was going to happen, they couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. Now, here's a profound question. Are we like that? Are we like that? The answer is yes. That's not a hard question. We sincerely think we know what's going to happen, and we miss what God is saying, and that's, that's just a hard skill to learn, to pay attention. Therefore, he said, here's the parable: a certain nobleman went into a far country, country to receive for himself, to, to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So that's Jesus. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them. 10 minus, and said to them, That's three months' wages, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Verse 15 And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Notice that a very little. Do you ever feel like whatever God has given you is to be a steward of, a talent, uh, an ability, a gifting, money? You think, well, this is This is so little. What does this matter, this little bit of money I have? This is important in the story. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mine has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities Then another came saying, Master, here is your mind, which I've kept for you, kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Why then did you not put away my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he already has ten minas. For I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. but bring here here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Here's a story where you just slow down, you take note of the details, and all of this directly is an illustration of our relationship with Jesus and our stewardship for the Lord in this world. Jesus came into this world to purchase for himself a kingdom. Those who were his servants, us, were given uh, something to be a steward over, an amount of money to use that to do business for the king while he goes away. And when he comes back, he's going to say, what did you do with the money I gave you? And it doesn't matter how little or how much it was, you are accountable for what you did with it. And based on what you did with it, you will be rewarded. This strikes me against our, our sense of equal justice in today's society, where everybody should have equal provision, as in socialism. That's not how the kingdom of God works. God loves every person. God gives to every person. God provides for every person. But in this area of stewardship, those who are good stewards are given more. Those who are irresponsible stewards are given less. Does this story speak to you? Every one of us has been given something, something of a stewardship. You might call it time, talents, and treasures. You have a special natural ability that is so natural to you, you can't even see it. Maybe you have a gift for making money like Zacchaeus. That's a unique gift of God. And there's this common conversation we have with successful people, like, why are you telling me I need to take what I have and serve God with it? They often say, well, I did this for myself. I accomplished these things. I went to this school, I worked my way through school, I did the work, I started this business, or I worked my way up the corporate ladder, and in their mind, they achieved it all. They don't know that the ability to do all those things was a gift of God. I'm amazed at the insight some people have at business. They can just look at a business arrangement and they just know what to do. I have more of an aptitude for looking at people and I know what to do. And people say, how did you know that? And how did you know that person needed to hear that? Well, I'm pretty awesome. That's how. (laughs) And in God's kingdom, every one of us is loved the same. God is the one who has given you the special, unique abilities that you have. They might be natural abilities you were born with. I know that I was born with musical ability. I remember at four or five years old begging my parents for a guitar, and they never did it. So to get even with them, I started playing drums there was just something in me I have to play music I'm not even playing out anymore I'm not touring anymore I used to but I still have to go to my office and pick up my guitar and play and I have to hear it there's something in me I have to do it it's a sickness (laughs) I didn't just decide to be that way. I just am that way. My mother was a singer, and she sang on live radio with her two sisters um, back in the the 40s and 50s, I believe it was, Christian music. It's interesting about these natural abilities that God has given to us. We, We almost can't even see them. And you think, well, I don't know what to do for God. It's right in front of you the very things that you take for for granted. And then along with with natural capacities and abilities, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us what are called spiritual gifts. They are unique giftings that are listed. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those places, Romans 12, where you can read about the Holy Spirit giving us gifts. They are given to us for the purpose of serving other people. And the long uh, list of spiritual gifts like healing, tongues, uh, teaching, administration, and there's many more, there's only one of the gifts that's given to serve yourself, and that's the gift of speaking in tongues. It's to aid you in prayer and in praise, but all the other gifts are given to build up people in the Lord. And even those gifts, unless they are the real sensational gifts, like the gift of healing, like, you know, laying hands on somebody who can't walk and they get up and walk. Uh, we love those gifts. Um, There are many gifts that even are spiritual gifts that operate so naturally, it almost looks like they're not spiritual gifts. And I know that, again, like in my own life, for me to even stand here and do this requires the spiritual gift of teaching. And along with that often goes the gift of prophecy. Now, New Testament prophecy is not foretelling the future, it's merely speaking a word from God to people. And so in those moments where I'm able to just simply explain the Bible, that's a gift from God. And then those moments where suddenly something comes to my mind and I say it and it just convicts you and you are uncomfortable, that's the gift of prophecy. There are There's tons of things that I say during my messages that I did not write in my notes. This is just a basic roadmap, and then the Lord adds to it and takes away, and I need my roadmap so I don't become a rambler. But if anything is accomplished in your life of any substance, of any comfort, correction, helping you in any way, it is completely of the Lord. That's a hard lesson for preachers to learn because we get to stand in front of people and our egos are involved. We, we like the limelight. The spotlights are on me right now. It's pretty awesome. But there are those Sundays when, when preachers preach what they think is their best sermon ever, and it nothing much happens in the church and then there's other days where they feel like man that was that was horrible that was my worst message that's those are the days when often people will come up and say man pastor that's exactly what i needed to hear and then we say to ourselves well i guess i am pretty awesome It's hard to live the life of faith because you want control of things. How many of you love control? Let me see your hands. You are the organizers of the church. And you think, I'm going to get my life in control and really live this Christian life. And then you realize you controlled God right out of your schedule. Amen? The life of God working through us is disciplined, but it's also yielding control to him. That's hard. I want control of myself. But I've learned the harder I fight for control of myself, the less is accomplished. And the more I just yield my life, it's a heart thing. And I just say, Lord, would you just take my life and would you make something of it? Would you just accomplish something? And suddenly we see that the Lord starts to bear fruit. The Lord starts to accomplish things. How was it that this man, this man who was really an outcast from society, Zacchaeus, suddenly has this revelation in his heart. And he just says, Lord, I'm going to give back what I've taken. There's no explanation, except it's a complete, complete work of God. If if you can get to that place and let go of control and let God work and use you, that's when this whole church thing gets fun. And I don't really want to do it another way. I've tried the other way where I worried and pushed and planned and strived. And it didn't accomplish much. And it's in those times that, that we, when we just let, let the Lord do what he wants to do. In your life, I, I feel like I do talk about this a lot, but I, we need reminders that around this room are unique gifts and abilities that you maybe know about, you maybe you don't know about, but I want you to know that every one of you are important for this to work. The church is not the staff putting on a show for you. We're just putting the details together so that you, the staff, can show up and do the work of the ministry. I talked to a pastor in Georgia this week. He's completely freaking out over his church. I've coached him for about a year and a half. They just bought a new building back in April. I was there for that in Georgia. Completely stressed out. Do you know why? The church is growing so much, he can't talk to everybody. I said, I'm so sorry for you. (laughs) He doesn't know how to make this shift. I'm going, Jeff... You, the last year and a half, we have been working on all the training, the discipling of leaders you've been doing. He's an amazing trainer, just men's groups and leadership groups and all these things going on in the church. And I'm going, it's time to let go of control. And so even in this size of a group, I can't personally talk to every one of you. And so that means as you talk to each other, you're going to say these words, hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you real quick? Hey, have a great week. The Lord loves you. Three little questions. You are the ministers. I'm just the trainer here. And what I love is that every little gift serves a unique place. And if it's missing, then the whole thing gets a little uh, uh, lopsided. Why are you smiling at me? The pack of wild dogs. I said something and Mariah started smiling at me. (laughs) That's what my wife does when I, she goes, after church, did you know you said this word during your message? I'm going, have no idea. (laughs) So probably didn't happen. If I, that's what we do, we mix up our words as preachers. Are you hearing me? This is such a simple message. Jesus has come into this world to, to purchase. A kingdom. He's gone to the cross, given his life. So, what would you give that's more than his sacrifice? Not much of anything. And then he says, You and you and you and you, in your area of life, in your area of church, you're going to serve an important role. And we say, well, it's just this little bit. It's just one mina. It's just this, I don't have as much money as that person. So how does my part really make a difference? In your little part, you're not only contributing, but you're learning. The Lord is teaching you to be a good steward. If he can trust you with that little bit, here's the thing. He wants to trust you with more. Do you know that? Don't say, well, I'll try harder when it's more. Because it will not happen. Your kid wants a new bike and you said, well, why do you leave your old bike out in the rain all winter? I'm not buying you a new bike just to leave it out in the rain. Stewardship. Some of you have a lot. Are you using it for the Lord? In how we pray, how we serve, how we give. All of those are the ways that we're all working together. And I love seeing a healthy church. A healthy church, as we say, is not just a church full of programs for everybody. But it's a church where everybody has found their place and they're important. The little kids, even me starting the service, bringing Charles up here with me, I thought that was cool because he looked really awesome, didn't he? It's just, it was a coincidence he was dressed exactly like me. But it, doesn't it just immediately remind us why we're here? We're here for that. And that more and more and more, over and over. The home groups that we have, you home group leaders, you're doing the work of the Lord. The homeschool co-op we have Thursdays, youth group, men's group, women's group. And you realize how many people are meeting together in all these small groups. And every one of those is a little opportunity for each of you to serve Interact, to bear the responsibility of a little bit of of ministry, to get comfortable with it. You know, the reason Tanner does live announcements, are you here in the room, Tanner? (laughs) We used to do video announcements, which is the cool thing among churches. Tanner does live announcements because he needs to get comfortable standing in front of you, scary people. There is no way to get comfortable in front of people without doing it. And so I'm excited to see more and more of you just grow in the the things that God has gifted you to do. I don't even know all the gifts that are in this room. So we have enough program for you to find your place, but not so much that it just is a distraction from the main thing. This morning, we're going to have a water baptism. I'm going to shift over to the baptism, guys. We have a few people getting baptized this morning. And this is a snapshot of putting away the old life and beginning the new life. Romans 6, 4 says that we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. The water is symbolic of the grave. Did you know that? The word baptize means immerse. That's why we immerse and we don't sprinkle. Because sprinkling is not immersion. And it's literally to make an impact on that person being baptized that you are, your old life is being buried right now, and you are being raised in newness of life. The old life is put away, your new life is in Christ, his purposes, his plans, but it's also a public testimony that that person is saying in front of everybody and people, you know, don't like to get baptized in water because it's public. Can't we just do this in private? Well, we can. It kind of misses the point. It's, it's good for these or you to be to do it in public. And say, I am now putting away my old life, and I am going to now live for the Lord. We're saved completely by faith alone. Communion or baptism, they don't save us. They're really the public testimony of something that's already happened in our heart. We receive communion to remind us of what we've done. We've trusted in the cross. We're baptized in water to remind us or teach us and to testify, I have done this. So even for someone who has never been baptized, they're going to heaven. If they've said, Lord, I believe you died for my sins. Would you forgive me of my sins and come into my life and cause me to be born again? That person is born again. Even the thief on the cross next to Jesus says, will you remember me when you come into your paradise? And Jesus says, "Um, into your kingdom. And Jesus says, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. One life at a time, God is saying, you're found. You're, You're back with me. And I love that. Rich, poor, whatever station in life, whatever place in life.